Well, good morning, dear church. You know, we just sang a song worthy of sincere reflection. Let's listen to these lyrics. Fullness of grace, the love of the Father, shown in the face of Jesus, stooping to bear the weight of humanity, walking the Calvary road. Christ, the holy innocent, took our sin and punishment, fullness of God, despised and rejected, crushed for the sins of the world. All praise be to Christ this morning. It is staggering to me that week in and week out, the Lord allows us to assemble for the sake of making much of the precious and mighty name of Jesus. When we gather here, when we sing, we sing of the gospel. When we pray, we pray the word. And when we fellowship, the aim is the glory of Christ and mutual edification. I'm so thankful, thankful to God for this church And I'm thankful for other churches like ours who make it their aim to live in accordance with the Holy Scriptures. For from them, we receive wisdom and understanding from our God. Amen? Let us stand together and open our Bibles to 2 John this morning. We will read this brief letter in its entirety with an emphasis this morning on verses 4 through 6. And after we read, we will ask the Lord's blessing on our time together. 2 John, beginning at verse 1. The elder to the elect lady and her children, whom I love in truth, and not only I, but also all who know the truth, because of the truth that abides in us and will be with us forever. Grace, mercy, and peace will be with us from God the Father and from Jesus Christ, the Father's Son. In truth, And love. I rejoice greatly to find some of your children walking in the truth, just as we were commanded by the Father. And now I ask you, dear lady, not as though I were writing you a new commandment, but the one we have had from the beginning, that we love one another. This is love, that we walk according to his commandments. This is the commandment, just as you have heard from the beginning, so that you should walk in it. For many deceivers have gone out into the world. Those who do not confess the coming of Jesus Christ in the flesh. Such a one is the deceiver and the antichrist. Watch yourselves, so that you may not lose what we have worked for, but may win a full reward. And everyone who goes on ahead and does not abide in the teaching of Christ does not have God. Whoever abides in the teaching has both the Father and the Son. If anyone comes to you and does not bring this teaching, do not receive him into your house or give him any greeting, for whoever greets him takes part in his wicked works. Though I have much to write to you, I would rather not use paper and ink Instead, I hope to come to you and talk face to face that our joy may be complete. The children of your elect sister greet you. Let us pray. Father, we come to you this morning in the mighty and humble name of Jesus. Father, it's only through him we can come to you. 
And we praise you, Father, for loving us in such a way that you would rescue us from our enslavement to sin. And for those of us who have repented of our sin and trusted solely in the work of Christ for salvation, we have the privilege of knowing you and living in light of your word all our days. And the psalmist wrote, Your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. Your testimonies are my heritage forever, for they are the joy of my heart. So Father, we ask for your blessing on our time together this morning, that we might together learn of our Savior. May you bless our time together, that we might more faithfully live lives worthy of the gospel. Oh, Father, work in us, work among us. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Please be seated. This is the second message in a series of four messages on 2 John. The last time we opened these pages, we studied the first three verses in which we learn how truth is the bounds of Christian loving. Namely, we saw the pastoral nature of the Apostle John and his great care for other believers. We saw glimpses of his concern for his audience in which that component was discussed in detail regarding whether or not he's writing to an individual and her children or is he writing to a specific congregation. Uh, if you want to, you can access that sermon on our website. But for our purposes this morning, it doesn't matter who the audience is for the sake of applying what's before us. We also saw John as an aged man, one who is very experienced in ministry, and he's nearing the end of his life, and so he's writing sincerely, very tenderly, but very pastorally to his, these believers, his audience. And we took note of the historical significance of Second John, namely regarding how it was written during the reign of the emperor Domitian, who was a Christian-hating and persecution-endorsing tyrant. And we briefly looked at why John wrote the letter. Namely, that a false teaching was spreading. The teaching known as docetism, which was basically a rejection of the notion that Jesus Christ indeed had come in the flesh. And this gave birth to what we know today as Gnosticism. And we've spent the last month, this Christmas season, highlighting and celebrating this truth that Christ did indeed come in the flesh. This is the message, the teaching of the Incarnation. And we've spent much time praising God for taking on flesh that we might know redemption, amen? And in addition to these things, we spent the bulk of our time, the last time we were in 2 John, biblically connecting truth and love as both the framework and call on each believer's life. And this morning, as we look at verses 4 through 6, we'll add more to our understanding of these things by narrowing our view on what it means to walk in the truth. In other words, we're looking at truth as the bounds of Christian living. Truth as the bounds of Christian living. Let us look at verses 4 through 6 again. I rejoice greatly to find some of your children walking in the truth, just as we were commanded by the Father. And now I ask you, dear lady, not as though I were writing you a new commandment, but the one we have had from the beginning, that we 
love one another. And this is love that we walk according to his commandments. And this is the commandment, just as you have heard from the beginning, that you should walk in it. Let us focus on verse 4. There are basically three points. The first being that of great rejoicing. Great rejoicing. John rejoices that some of his audience is walking in the truth. And we'll define that in just a bit. But what I want us to see here briefly is that John gets very excited when other people mature in the Lord. And I long as a pastor to have more of John's shepherding heart. He is so tender when he speaks of truth. And he is so excited when other people are understanding things of the Lord and walking in light of the things they understand. And he, in my mind, is the epitome of living out the humility of Christ. In fact, in 3 John, verse 4, he writes, I have no greater joy than to hear that my children are walking in the truth. Church, what brings you great joy when it comes to the life of the church? As a pastor, I love assembling ourselves together to stir up one another to love and good works. I love that. I love singing together. I love praying together. I love hearing the word of God and responding to the word of God together. But I have to say, like John, I get very excited when I hear stories of other people maturing, growing in their faith. That excites me. And I'm excited this morning that in God's providence, he has landed this message at the end of the year, which is a time when many people take stock of what happened over the past year and prepare to make improvements going into the next year. And I think if we slowed down for a minute and thought about what God has done among us this past year, we would rejoice at these things. A young lady in our congregation has been and is being trained to take the gospel to a foreign land sharing both the mercy and truth of our Lord. That should excite us. Amen? A young man here surrendered his life to Christ in the midst of a very difficult circumstance. That should excite us. Amen? The Lord has moved us as a church body to consider purchasing a new property. Yet, our main emphasis has been on unity and the necessity of spiritual growth over numbers and stuff. Amen? Many people have been and are being trained for work, for the work of ministry here. And some of our young people are taking more ownership of their faith and committing themselves to membership here at Providence, longing, desiring biblical accountability and mentoring. These things should excite us. We should rejoice at these things. And these are just a few examples of how the Lord is helping us grow in the likeness of Christ here at Providence. So with John, I would encourage us often, often to consider the many, many reasons we have to rejoice greatly when others mature in the Lord. So John tells us that he rejoices greatly, and he tells us why he rejoices it's because some of his audience is walking in the truth. Well, what does he mean by that? What he means is that there are those living their lives in such a way that reflects they have an understanding of truth and the motivation to live in light of it. Walking is simply a term synonymous with living, conducting one's life. Colossians 2, 6-7 tells us, Therefore, as you receive Christ Jesus the Lord, so Walk in him, 
rooted and built up in him and established in the faith, just as you were taught, abounding in thanksgiving. In my last sermon on 2 John, the first three verses, I said these things about truth. Truth is rooted in the nature of God. God cannot lie. Truth is the body of Christian belief. Truth is found in the scriptures which are profitable for our spiritual growth. And truth is the sphere in which believers express the affections of Christ to one another in various ways with the primary aim to build up that all may become more mature in the likeness of Christ. And consider these scriptures on truth. Titus 1.1, Paul, a servant of God and an apostle of Jesus Christ for the sake of the faith of God's elect and what? Their knowledge of the truth which accords with godliness. Truth accords with godliness. James 1.22, but be doers of the word and not what? Hears only deceiving yourselves. We need to see this morning that truth demands movement. Truth demands movement. One commentator wrote this, walking in the truth indicates that truth is both what we believe and how we live. It is doctrine and duty, creed and conduct. So what can we say about walking in the truth this morning? And I'd like to help us develop a more thorough biblical understanding of this concept using the writings of John himself and also leaning on the writings of the Apostle Paul. And in my opinion, and out of my research and my study, out of all the New Testament writers, these two men are most intent on developing this reality, this concept of walking in the truth. And this is also where your sermon notes begin. So first, let us understand that walking entails submission. Walking entails submission. In John's Gospel, chapter 8, verse 12, John writes of Jesus saying, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. In 1 John 1, 5 through 10, John proclaims, This is the message we have heard from him and proclaim to you that God is light. And in him is no darkness at all. If we say we have fellowship with him while we walk in darkness, we lie. We do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. If we, have, if we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves. The truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Hallelujah. If we say we have not sinned, we make him a liar, and his word is not in us. Still yet in 1 John chapter 2, verse 6, he tells us that whoever says he abides in Jesus ought to walk in the same way in which he walked. Well, how did Jesus walk? Well, I think John chapter 6, verse 38 provides a very satisfactory answer. Here's what it says. Jesus said, I have come down from heaven, not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. And we need to take very seriously, just a few pages later in John 15, what John writes, namely that we can do nothing apart from abiding in Jesus. 
trusting, trusting and obeying his ways. Our marching orders are to submit to the Lord's will. He knows what is best for us. He knows how best to equip us for fruitful and effective service in the ministry of his kingdom. And by the way, let us not forget our call to submit to one another as believers out of reverence for Christ. We find that in Ephesians 5.21. As Jesus submitted fully to the will of the Father, becoming even obedient to the point of death, so must we submit to the commands of our Savior. And submission stems from humility. And humility is what we need to be effective in the service of, a, of, of our king. Amen? So not only does walking entail submission, but second, let us understand that we walk as new creations in Christ. We walk, we live as new creations in Christ. We believers are those Ezekiel writes about in Ezekiel chapter 36, verses 26 and 27, when he records the Lord saying, I will give you a new heart. And a new spirit I will put within you. And I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh. And I will give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit within you and cause you to what? Walk in my statutes. And be careful to obey my rules. We believers have been given a new heart. The spirit of the almighty God has been put in us. Enabling us giving us the desire to want to obey, to live in light of his truth. And just for a moment, bask in the glory of these verses penned by the Apostle Paul. Romans 6, 4, write these down. We were buried therefore with him by baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. How about Ephesians 2, 22, or 2, 2 rather. And you were dead. You were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience. Colossians 3, 7. In various sins, you too once walked when you were living in them. Ephesians 2, 10. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand, that we should walk in them. 2 Corinthians 5, 17. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away, and behold, the new has come, the Father has given us believers new life in Christ through the Spirit. And because of this, we not only get to live in obedience, humbly submitting ourselves to the Father's will, but we want to. It is a privilege. It's an honor. We were created in Christ Jesus to live out a distinct reality to the glory of His holy name. Amen. This means we must Walk with an agenda to kill sin. That's the next item in your notes. We must walk with an agenda to kill sin. God's new creations in Christ 
have both the desire and ability to consider themselves dead to sin and alive to Christ. They have the desire to cooperate with God and putting off unrighteousness, to cast off remaining sin. And believers are those who, according to Romans 8, 4, walk not according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. What about Galatians 5, 16, and 17, where Paul tells us, But I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit, and the desires of the Spirit are against the flesh. These are opposed to each other to keep you from doing the things you want to do. My friends, we need to understand that there is a very, very real war between the flesh and the Spirit. So let us not downplay that struggle, but let us also not neglect our command to fight against sin, to walk in the Spirit. God has given us the grace and desire to kill sin. Listen to Colossians 2, verse 5. Believers are to put to death, therefore, what is earthly in them, sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, covetousness, which is idolatry. John Owen is often quoted for saying, be killing sin, or what? It will be killing you. How true. How true that is. But he's also credited with these words. Let no man think to kill sin with few, easy, or gentle strokes. He who hath once smitten a serpent, if he follow not on his blow until it be slain, may repent that he ever began the quarrel. And so he who undertakes to deal with sin and pursues it not constantly to the death. Our Lord shed his blood that we might have the power and desire through the Spirit to put to death what is earthly in us. Feel the weight of that. If our conduct does not align with the truths of God's Word, we must abandon our allegiance to whatever sins deceive us and return to our only hope for killing sin, the Lord Jesus Christ. So friend. Are you fighting a war with sexual sin? It's time to kill it. Do you struggle with sinful anger? It's time to kill it. Do you struggle with issues of sins, of idolatry, and materialism, etc.? Guess what? It's time to kill it. Pride of various types, whether it be fear of man, people-pleasing, self-sufficiency, it's time to kill it. We are new creations in Christ with this agenda to kill sin, to cast off that which is earthly in us. We must walk by the Spirit. This is walking in the truth. And we can only do this as new creations in Christ. We must understand that any other attempt to cast off sin, it has to be viewed as blasphemous Because we can do nothing apart from abiding in our Lord. Anything else is just behavior modification and will not last. We must abide so that we might fight. Amen. 
The flip side of this coin then is cultivating godliness. We walk with an agenda to cultivate godliness. Listen to these marching orders inspired by the Holy Spirit and penned by the Apostle Paul, Romans 13, 13 through 14. Let us walk properly as in the daytime, not in orgies and drunkenness, not in sexual immorality and sensuality, not in quarreling and jealousy, but put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh to gratify its desires. Ephesians chapter 5, verses 1 and 2. Be imitators of God as beloved children. Walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. Ephesians 5, 8 and 10. At one time you were darkness, but now, oh, but now, you are light in the Lord. So walk as children of light. For the fruit of light is found in all that is good and right and true and try to discern what is pleasing to the Lord. Ephesians 5, 15 through 16. Look carefully then how you walk. Not as unwise, but as wise. Making the best use of the time. Why? Friends, the days... Days are evil. We must be wise. We must walk as new creations with an agenda to kill sin and cultivate godliness. In the life of the believer, there are two dimensions. These are in your notes. To cultivating godliness. The first being that of personal godliness. The second being corporate godliness. Of personal godliness, listen to 1 Timothy 4, 7 through 8. Rather, Train yourself for godliness. For while bodily training is of some value, godliness is of value in every way as it holds promise for the present life and also for the life to come. Ephesians chapter 4, verses 22 through 24. We must be those who put off the old self which belongs to the former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires. We must be renewed in the spirit of our minds. We must put on the new self, created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. And to pursue godliness is to pursue the very character of Jesus himself, refusing to give in to the subtleties of the evil one's deceptions in both mind and action. So things like anger and sexual sin are mortified, are killed, and the humility of Christ is pursued with great vigor. But not only are we to strive by God's grace to cultivate personal holiness, but we also have the privilege and the responsibility to one another to help each other in their pursuit of godliness. Ephesians 4, 16, the second part of it, we read this about the church. Paul says that the whole body is joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped. When each part, listen, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. If we are not a people about the business of building one another up in their faith, we're not operating as the church. It's not working properly. 
we have this responsibility to one another. Yes, to cultivate personal godliness, but that should transfer over into one another's lives, encouraging one another, stirring up one another to love and good works. And to this end, the Holy Spirit has inspired many templates for this endeavor in Scripture. And one of those templates is Ephesians 4, the entire chapter. In this chapter, we find a plethora of godly attributes to be engaged for both personal and corporate holiness. If I were to paraphrase this, we would see that God's children are to be those who are humble. All this is found in Ephesians 4. Humble, gentle, patient, those bearing with each other, those eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace, workers of ministry for the purpose of building up one another in the faith, those who are doctrinally healthy, those who speak truth and love, those who cherish the reality that we are members of one another, those who get angry yet do not sin, those who give no opportunity to the devil, those who don't steal but labor to bless, those who refuse to let corrupting talk come out of their mouths, but rather seek to extend grace, those who do not want to grieve the Spirit, those who lay down bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and all malice, those who are kind to one another, tender-hearted, and those who forgive as they have been forgiven. We must pursue these things individually, and we must be about the business of helping one another pursue these things. For the glory of Christ. Amen. So we see that walking entails submission. We understand that we walk as new creations with the agenda to kill sin and cultivate godliness. And we do all this, my friends, as we walk by faith. As we walk by faith oriented toward our glorious destination. A future of eternity spent basking in the glories of Christ awaits those of us who have trusted in Christ. We are headed, believers, toward a glorious city in which we will meet our Lord and Savior and rejoice in His glory forevermore. In the book of Revelation, we are given glimpses of what these scenes will look like. Just listen to this great description found in Revelation chapter 21. Verses 22-24. And I saw no temple in the city. For its temple is the Lord God the Almighty and the Lamb. And the city has no need of sun or moon to shine on it. Why? For the glory of God gives its light. And its lamp is the Lamb. And by its light... Will the nations walk? I am looking forward to that day. Stepping inside that city in which the Lamb is our light. Oh my goodness. So the redeemed who live by faith now will one day bask in the light of the Lamb for all eternity. The nations will walk by this light. The glory of God will give this light. And so even now, church, as we pilgrim through a fallen world, 
with many vices pulling at us. We walk by faith and not by sight, knowing that one day our faith will be sight. Amen? 2 Corinthians 5, 7. For we walk by faith and not by sight. Hebrews 11, 1. Now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. We await of glorious future of beholding our Savior forever, worshiping Him forever, living in light of the light with no end, no pain, no sorrow, just glory, just Jesus. The oft-quoted Spurgeon says this about faith. This is faith. Receiving the truth about Christ, first knowing it to be true, and then acting upon that belief. Friends, let future glory motivate us to present obedience. There is coming a great day. A great reward awaits us. A day in which there will be no more tears. They will be wiped away. And we will smile for eternity seeing our Lord face to face. So may our faith be firm. May our faith be active. And John says he rejoices greatly that there are believers living in accordance with the truth. And he then states as a third component, just as we were commanded by the Father. We find ourselves now back in 2 John verse 4. This is the third part of verse 4. Just as we were commanded by the Father. And this command is not referring to the law of Moses or law keeping, but rather divine ordinances received and passed along by Jesus. In John 12, 49, Jesus says, I have not spoken on my own authority, but the Father who sent me has himself given me a command. What to say, what to speak. John 14, 31, Jesus says, I do as the Father has commanded me so that the world may know that I love the Father. Just like John's initial audience, we have received the command to walk in truth from the Father through the mouthpiece of the Son. And this is important because John, in 2 John, is warning against those who are attempting to teach a false False doctrine that Jesus had not really come in the flesh. So John is helping his audience understand supreme authority as to be convinced of the deity of the Son so that they would live in light of such truth, fighting against erroneous teaching. And Lord willing, during our next time in 2 John, we will spend time examining the importance of walking in truth as a means to wage war against modern heresies, false religions, and moral relativity. But for now, let us look briefly at verses 5 and 6 of 2 John. And now I ask you, dear lady, not as though I were writing you a new commandment, but the one we had from the beginning, that we love one another. And this is love, that we walk according to his commandments. This is the commandment, just as you have heard from the beginning, so that you should walk in it. Notice John's tender address there in verse 5. 
He doesn't say, now I command you, dear lady, that we must love one another. His audience knows that command to be true. But he simply states, I ask you, I love the tender nature of John's pastoral ministry. Let us love one another. This is our last point this morning. We must walk in love, reflecting the character and affections of our Lord Jesus Christ. We must walk in love. One commentator wrote, Truth is the framework, the principle that guides and gives genuine meaning to the expression of love. This command to love find its origin in the nature and delight of God. We could go back to Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 5, and see these words, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, and with all your soul, and with all your might. And this translates into the New Testament teaching as Jesus responds to a skeptic lawyer in Matthew twenty-two thirty-five through 40. The lawyer comes to ask him a question to test him. He says, Teacher, which is the great commandment in the law? What did Jesus say? You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. This is the great and first commandment. A second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments depend all the law and the prophets. Now, keeping the tenderness of John in view, let us now lean into the tenderness of our Lord Jesus as we transition to a different scene in which we are now in the upper room in which Jesus is talking to his disciples, giving them a fuller understanding of this command to love. In fact, turn there with me. John chapter 13. The weight of the cross is soon to come. And Jesus is with his disciples. And we read in verse 33 through 35, him saying to his disciples, his children in the faith, yet a little while I am with you. You will seek me, and just as I said to the Jews, so now I also say to you, where I am going, you cannot come. But a new commandment I give to you, that you love one another. Just as I have loved you, you also are to love one another. Why is this so important? Well, here it is. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. If we turn over a few pages to John 15, verses 12 and 13, we read these words. This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, that someone laid down his life for his friends. Let us not forget the command in Ephesians 25 for husbands to love their wives. Why is that important? Well, Christ loved the church and gave himself for her. So we must walk in this command to love, having truth as its framework and Jesus Christ as our supreme example. Amen. So let us consider for a moment one of the greatest passages, in my opinion, on love 
That being 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verses 4 through 8. Turn there. And as we read through these attributes of love, consider with me how Jesus perfectly exhibited each point. When you hear these attributes of love, think of Jesus' dealings with those ignorant of truth, his patience with them. Think of his tenderness in correcting the Samaritan woman's understanding her view of worship. Think of his tenderness in forgiving the woman caught in adultery. Think of his tenderness in dealing with those disciples who struggled with doubt. Think of his tenderness as he washed his disciples' feet. Think of his tenderness and resolve in dying on a cross that we, we, the unlovable, might be reconciled to God. 1 Corinthians 13, 4-8, love is patient. Love is kind. Love does not envy or boast. Love is not arrogant. Love is not rude. Love does not insist on its own way. Love is not irritable or resentful. Love does not rejoice at wrongdoing. Love rejoices with the truth. And love bears all things. And love believes all things. And love hopes all things. Love endures all things. Love never ends. Truth and love are divinely inseparable. This is what our love should look like for one another. Earlier, we briefly looked back at 2019, and we saw some of the glorious things the Lord is doing among our congregation. But now, let us turn a corner and look ahead to the year 2020, Lord willing, if it comes, with our call to love in mind. And around this time of year, there are many attempts to make resolutions, amen? Resolutions of losing weight. Can I get an amen? Becoming more financially responsible, more stable. How about reconciling with family and friends? All these things are good, all right? We should want to conduct our lives in a way that brings glory to God in everything we do. Let us, however, not lose sight of this great commandment to love, As we go into a new year, may we be resolved beyond all else to live out this love. To live out this command to love one another. Just like John's audience being threatened with a storm of false doctrine, we live in a destructive, fallen world. A world threatening to undo us with relativism, self-centered living, and doubt concerning the precepts of the word of God. We are going into a new year where the enemy's agenda is to make us less effective for the kingdom. And therefore, we must wage the war of love, which is rooted in the sphere of truth. This is why we need the framework of truth. It is our hope and our answer to falsehood. This is why we need love. It is how we express the affections of Christ to one another and fight against the enemy hand in hand. You know what that means? That means we must 
be invested, immensely invested in one another's lives. We need, it's not an option, we need to live in community with one another. Now, as the early church was, may we here at Providence be a church who daily meets each other's material and spiritual needs. The evil one would have us live independently of one another, keeping us from deep unity and affection for one another. Friends, we must link arms in accordance with truth and live out this love together that we might arrive together at our glorious destination, firmly rooted and having weathered many storms, yet not destroyed. We need each other. And this is the application of my message in principle form. But what about the real, day-to-day, specific nitty-gritty application. What are some real steps we can take to walk in truth and express love? I'd like to suggest four applications, two more individual in nature, two more corporate in flavor, all aimed at living in community more and more together as the day of our Lord appears, as it nears sooner and sooner. Application number one, why not commit yourself to at least two people this year? Two individuals for the entire year, someone younger in the faith that you know would be able to help, uh, you would be able to help grow in their faith, and someone else more experienced in their faith that may help you grow in the likeness of Jesus. Make that commitment. And that commitment would involve meeting often to read Scripture and pray Scripture and simply living life together with the goal to more faithfully walk in truth and express love. Be invested at the individual level. Application number two. Take it upon yourself to read gospel-centered literature concerning love and community. I would like to recommend two books to you. You know me very well. You know that I love books. Um, One of my favorite books is The Crisis of Caring by Jerry Bridges. The Crisis of Caring by Jerry Bridges. The other one, The Gospel Comes with a House Key by Rosaria Butterfield. These two sources will help us flesh out what it means to live in light of truth and how to express the love of Christ to one another on a consistent basis. A more corporate application. Families. Why not commit yourself to at least one other family? There are many families. The Lord is bringing many families to our church rapidly, and we're so grateful for that. So why not reach out to a family that you love in the Lord, but don't necessarily have a deep community-based relationship with? And just live life together in such a way that no matter what you do together, you are developing deeper spiritual conversations, and a hand-in-hand commitment is established. What might this church look like if we took this aim seriously? What deep relationships would be fostered? And what maturity in Christ would be evident among us if we took this aim to live in community more seriously? And I will say this, these things are happening in our church. Praise be to God for that. But Paul reminds people often, As you are doing these things, these good things, do so more and more and more. 
We must not give up. The more I serve as a pastor here at Providence, and the more I grow in my own faith, I realize, I realize more acutely how much I need the church. We need to feel the weight of how much we need each other. Who knows what 2020 will bring? We don't know. God does. And he tells us to link arms, fight against whatever comes hand in hand, rejoicing together, weeping together, all for the sake of his glory and for us becoming more faithful to him, living in community. Amen? How about this application? Why not memorize with others, maybe in small groups or just um, family occasions, etc., that the passages in Scripture which call us to walk in the truth. Start memorizing Scripture with others. We need to walk in a manner worthy of the gospel. I went through Ephesians 4 this morning. That would be a great place to start. Memorize that. And not just make it an intellectual and academic exercise, but be determined, be resolved to live out those things and hold one another accountable. Jerry Bridges wrote this, We must grasp the idea that fellowship means belonging to one another in the body of Christ, along with all the privileges and responsibilities that such a relationship entails. So church, May 2020, be a year of growth in love for the Lord Jesus and one another. I'll close with another word from John Owen and then a brief passage from the Apostle Paul, that being Titus 3, 3 through 8. John Owen wrote, Love is the fountain of all duties towards God and man. The basis of all rules that concern the saints the bond of communion, the fulfilling of the law, the advancement of the honor of the Lord Jesus, and the glory of the gospel. Titus 3, 3-8. For we ourselves were once foolish, disobedient, led astray, slaves to various passions and pleasures, passing our days in malice and envy, hated by others and hating one another. But when the goodness and loving kindness of God our Savior appeared, what happened? He saved us, not because of works done by us in righteousness that could never be, but according to his own mercy, by the washing of regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us richly through Jesus Christ our Savior, so that, being justified by his grace, we might become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. The saying is trustworthy, and I want you to insist on these things, as I am insisting these things to you now, that those who have believed in God may be careful to devote themselves to good works. These things are excellent and profitable for people. May God help us. Church, may God help us in these things for the exaltation of the name of Christ. Amen. Let us pray together and then we will observe a time of silent reflection.
Father, you have told us that the world will know that we belong to you, that we are your disciples if we have love for one another. So Father, grant us mercy that we might understand more fully what that means and how to apply it in everyday life. Help us submit ourselves to you, knowing that we are new creations in Christ. And I speak of those who have repented of their sin and trusted solely in the work of Christ for salvation. Father, those individuals, those of us who are new creations in Christ, we walk with the agenda to kill sin and to cultivate personal and corporate godliness. Oh, Father, we are those who walk by faith, looking ahead to a glorious future. Father, we are those who are called to walk in love as our Savior walked in love. Father, could it be that there are those here this morning who know nothing of the holiness of God, who have not seen the weight and sinfulness the darkness, the blackness of their sin before this holy God. Oh, Father, I pray that if there is one here this morning who does not know you as Lord and Savior, Father, I pray that you would reveal their sin to them, bring them under the conviction of their sin, that they might see that their only hope of rescue is the Lord Jesus Christ and his finished work. And Father, as you deal with men, I pray that these individuals would reach out to those of us in the room who have tasted and seen that the Lord is good. And they would ask us questions about the gospel, about this glorious Savior. And Father, I pray that today would be the day of salvation for someone here. And Father, for the rest of us, may we trust you, may we obey you, May we live in the sphere of truth and in doing so, help us love. For the sake of Jesus' name, amen.